0: Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. A very familiar passage. Psalm 23. Hear now God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, so much for the blessing uh, to sit under your word and to be taught. Lord, you know where each one of us are. You know the things that... That really occupy our thinking uh, that consume our energy and our time uh, father we know that your word is not some ancient book that's outdated and has no relevance for today but uh, your word and your spirit are alive and, and active and i pray this morning holy spirit that you would apply this word to to our hearts and our understanding that you would cause us lord to to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, uh, Lord, to be rebuked where we are, are living according to sin and, and even our own selfish desires, maybe even unconsciously. But please work in us, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, as we uh, come to this uh, wonderful psalm and, and take this time as a series to go through this so a verse at a time, uh, we were reminded last week that the Lord is our shepherd. And we covered that in, in quite some detail. And if you remember, we talked about how the Lord being our shepherd, that he is the unchanging God. He actually is unchangeable. He, he cannot change. And not only that, even more so, he is all-sufficient. Now, kids, what does it mean to be sufficient? Well, it means you can do whatever you want to do. Um, that you don't have to depend upon other people or circumstances, or as some people would say, good luck. You you do whatever you want to do. Now, I expect to be here next Sunday. As a matter of fact, I'm planning on it, but I am not sufficient to guarantee to you that I will be here next Sunday. I mean, I don't even know if I'll be alive. I don't know if I'll be of good health to where I could come. I don't know if the weather will be such that we could be here next week. I mean, for, for us as human beings, there, there are so many things, so many variables that keep us from being self-sufficient. We are dependent upon so many things. I mean, as people, we have things both outside of ourselves that affect us, but also those things even within us that hinder us from being self-sufficient but God is not that way and and because we are not sufficient sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp what what God is like but we also talked about not only is he the Lord but he is our shepherd and and that he is not only sufficient but he is also good Uh, he's not evil and I think sometimes we can take that for granted That God's intentions for us his purpose for us is always good It may not always be pleasant, but it is always good for us. And not because we deserve it, but because of His mercy. Now, Dane Ortland, I referred to his book earlier in the announcements. It's entitled Gentle and Lowly. And uh, he he talks about the character of God in that book, and I highly recommend it. And I want to share to you something from chapter 15 of that book. I'm just going to give you the quick summary, so you can grab the book after the worship service. And check me out make sure I'm correct and, and understand more fully what it is that he's saying. But he says, you know, left to our own inclinations, we can conclude that God in his natural work uh, is, is a God of judgment. That, in other words, God's default, the way he deals with us is in judgment. And that his strange work, his his unusual work, it's sort of the exception to the way that he functions, is mercy. He says, that's the way that we can think. But he goes, as you look at Scripture, that's not what we see in the Bible. And so he takes us to Lamentations chapter 3. And I I encourage you to turn there, if you would. Lamentations 3. Let me read that. Uh, It's it's 3.33 is a verse that he points out. But I want to begin with verse 31. It says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then verse 33. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He doesn't afflict, he doesn't bring those difficulties from his heart. You see, in Lamentations, the Bible is taking us and showing us a picture into God and, and who He is. And, and I like the way Dane Orland says, he says, The one who rules and ordains all things brings affliction into our lives with a certain divine reluctance. I don't know if you think about that. I think sometimes as Presbyterians we talk about trials and difficulties so much we just think that God's just like mass producing trials for us in our lives uh, because that's good for us. Uh, but he is uh, while he does bring those difficulties into our lives and there is a certain divine reluctance he's not reluctant about the ultimate good that those trials and those difficulties are going to bring into our lives and that's why he does it is for the good that those things will bring but something recoils within him in sending that affliction the pain itself doesn't reflect his heart now, have you ever thought about that? you ever think about that? Is in terms of God that it's the the pain that comes? That's not what reflects His heart. He's not a Platonic force pulling heaven's levers and pulleys in a way that's detached from the real pain and anguish that we feel uh, at His hand. He is, as Ortland says, He is, if I can put it this way, without questioning His divine perfections, conflicted within Himself when he sends affliction into our lives. God is indeed punishing Israel for their waywardness in the Book of Lamentations, um, as the Babylonians sweep through the city. God is is definitely doing that. He's punishing Israel for that, and, and they deserve that. But his deepest heart is their merciful restoration. In other words, what, what is uh, consistent with God's heart is not sending the Babylonians in to wipe out the Israelites or, and, and to carry them away in captivity. But, but instead, it is that this act will cause their restoration. And that's what he wants more than anything. And we need to keep that in mind. Especially as we think of the Lord is my shepherd. Because some of us may view God's heart as brittle, uh, as, as, a, as a God who is easily offended, and so the Lord is constantly bringing His judgment upon us. Or, or some may view God's heart as cold. He doesn't hear us. He doesn't listen to us. That He's uneasily moved. But, But the Bible doesn't portray Him that way. The Lord's mercies... Are varied in other words there's all kinds of mercies that the Lord gives to us and they are very great mercies God is our Shepherd which means I belong to him and I ought to trust him because his natural work in the life of his children is that of mercy in other words God not treating us like we deserve and that's the privilege of every believer without exception To trust Him for all the good He has promised to each one of us. And so as we go through this study, the goal is is not so much to open your understanding of Psalm 23. I I don't think you're going to walk away from Psalm 23 thinking, Wow, I've just learned a boatload of new things about this psalm. Really, what I want you to do is to get you to believe what you already know about Psalm 23. Uh, To live in the joy and the peace that it's designed to give you. And so that brings us to Psalm 23, 2, where we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see, David is showing us how God leads and provides and cares for his sheep. And so that's what I want us to see this morning is, first of all, God's provision. As we look at Psalm 23, verse 2, the very first part. Um, In the Hebrew, the the text literally reads this way, In pastures of grass, I know the ESV says in green pastures, but it's in pastures of grass he makes me lie to lie down. Upon waters of rest he guides me. So the word orders just... A little bit different and 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 we're going to look at this a little more carefully and and see why that's so important to recognize that but what we need to understand as we think about the Lord being our shepherd and leading us to green grass or pastures of grass uh, that Canaan was definitely the promised land it was a land remember described in the Bible as a land flowing with milk and honey And so it was a wonderful place for the Israelites to live, but it wasn't necessarily a lush land, okay, when it comes to shepherding and to caring for your sheep. As a matter of fact, um, around a a town or a little village would oftentimes be fields where they would plant their crops and stuff. And so a shepherd, if you were gonna take a sheep out to, to find a place for them to eat, would have to take them sort of beyond the hills Up into the cracks and maybe up into these high pastures where he could then find maybe enough grass that he could feed his sheep and and as he's taking them along these paths some of these paths were very difficult to get the sheep through and they were very dangerous because they were wild animals and and there were thieves but there was also even the path itself was was very dangerous Uh, but he would take them up to these pastures now The green grass, or the pastures of grass that that the Bible talks about, are are, um, a phenomenon that only happened two to three months out of the year. Um, During the springtime, when the rains would come, which Palestine needed very much, the pastures would be nice and green and luscious, which is a kind of description that David is giving here. But nine to ten months out of the year, the grass was very dry, and uh, the sheep could eat it, but it wasn't as wonderful as the the grass of the springtime. And so what David wants to underscore is the greatness of God's provision. God doesn't just take us to pastures of grass, but he takes us to pastures of green grass that's lush, that's fresh, that's that that springtime grass. And so um, as we look at that, we see God's provision. Now, People are oftentimes very quick to interpret the blessing of Psalm 23 to be natural or material benefits. That God will give us food to eat. And and there's nothing wrong with that interpretation. Really, I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 6 in, in the Lord's Prayer, He told us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so we are to pray and to look to God for our material possessions and uh, our material needs to be uh, met but then even in that same chapter in matthew 6 jesus goes on to teach and he's teaching the crowds and he says in matthew six twenty-five, if i could read from there he said therefore i tell you don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so he points them to the birds, and he says, look. He said, God takes care of them. And then he goes on to talk about the grasses, and he goes, look at the grass, look at the flowers. You know, they're like here today and gone tomorrow. They don't last very long, but yet they're robed in a splendor that's much greater than Solomon." And all of his wealth and all of his wisdom and if God takes care of grass that's just going to pass away like that how much more is he going to take care of you and so he goes on in Matthew 6 in verse 31 and he says therefore don't be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble and so he says here that yes God will provide our physical material needs but as we think about that As as American Christians, sometimes we can take that scripture and we can sort of twist it in our minds as we're hearing that and we're processing that. Because, um, you know, we oftentimes forget that we are just God's creation. Now, I say just God's creation. We're made in His image. We're special. I don't want to downplay that. But we are creatures. And we must remember that no one has a right to one bite of the food that God gives or the air that God gives us to breathe or anything else but we oftentimes think we do we think a lot is owed to us and so we look to God and, and, and the way that he provides for us and sometimes there's discontentment dissatisfaction because we do not have the things that we think we deserve it's it's a lot like the Israelites in the wilderness right God said you're hungry let me feed you and what's he do he gives them the special manna that we've never seen anywhere else in the Bible And he feeds an entire nation with this manna. What's the Israelites' response? Kids, do you remember? Grumbling and complaining. We're tired of manna. Manna all the time. We want some meat. And so God shifts the wind and he blows in the quail. And they have meat and he gives them that. But they complain against that as well. But the reality is that God has created us, as, as Matthew Henry points out, not only to provide all that we need, but also to enjoy that which God gives us. And, and you see God's provision throughout the scripture. Elijah, when the raven, when God sent the ravens to bring the bread to him during, during the um, drought and uh, famine, the Lord provided for the prophet. Now, God doesn't always give us, like I said, maybe what we want. And it doesn't mean that there aren't times when we might be, have less than what we want. I mean, I think about David, the man who wrote these words. and talks about how the Lord causes his sheep to, to lie down in green pastures. David begged Nabal for bread for he and his men. And another time he did it with Elimelech as well. Um, uh, Matthew Henry commenting on this he said you know he said we need to remember that when it, the, Psalm 23 says I shall not want um, it, it not only means I shall not want but I shall be supplied with whatever I need and, and if I have not eat everything I desire I may conclude uh, several things number one it's either not fit for me or it's not good for me or I shall have it in due time so, I, I, it's either not fit for me, it's not good for me, or, or God will eventually give it to me. And, and I just think, wow, what, what would it be like if, if we took that to heart, and those things that we set our, our hearts on? You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, one commentator commented and said, you know, sheep can't provide for their own needs. They have to have the shepherd provide for them. But I think about us, and, and in our lives, and, and how hard we work to try to get the things that we think we need. And just the, 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 um, the tension that we can feel, the stress, the anxiety that we can have in our lives as we're trying to work out all the details of the things that we want in our lives. And yet the Lord reminds us that He is the one that gives us all that we need. And so that we can rest in Him. And, and, and not only that, but the picture here is not of a God who barely gives us enough, but He is a God who gives to us abundantly. And I was just thinking about this this week. You know, how might our lives be different if we understood that we cannot provide our own needs, but God will give us everything we want. I just think about the times where I'm always trying to figure things out and I spend a lot of times processing things. Or there's things that I want and the Lord doesn't give it to me. And the anxiety that I oftentimes feel in my own heart because I don't just say, if the Lord wants me to have it, He'll give it to me. And I don't rest in that. But I wrestle and I struggle. And I set my heart on things and the Lord doesn't give it to me. And, and there's great anxiety that is there as a result of that. But that's not how God created or saved us. He said that He would give us everything. And and not only our physical needs, but also we need to remember that this talks about our spiritual needs as well. uh, Because Jesus is our shepherd. And so God didn't just create us to give us physical things. He actually said, I'm going to give you a a satisfaction that goes all the way down to your soul. Um, you know, in, In much the same way that God promised the promised land, the land of Canaan in the Old Testament, to the Israelites... You know, the New Testament fulfillment of that in Christ is, He didn't just say, I'm going to give you a piece of real estate here upon earth. Jesus promises us a new heaven and a new earth. That we will spend eternity with Him in heaven. And it's the same way with this in our physical needs. That Christ gives us so much more than just our physical needs. He gives us a a sense of peace, a sense of of rest, a sense of of enjoyment. If if we only would walk in Him. And just think about how God gives us His word. Which is, which is the nourishment for our, our souls and, and our inner self. He gives to us in that our, our promises, and, and He instructs us. Uh, he warns us against things that, that are dangerous for us, and, and He commands us in things that we might not otherwise do. You see, in all of this stuff, God is guiding us. He is encouraging us. He is nourishing our souls. But, but not only that, but He gives us prayer, that we can come to Him and we can pray and we can pour out our needs to Him. And He will hear us and He will answer our prayers. And and not only that, but God gives us His Spirit that dwells within us. The Spirit that helps us in those times of temptation and struggle. In those times when we have relational problems with other people. And we find it difficult, if not impossible, to love them. And yet God's Spirit enables us and gives us strength to do that. And so there's all these things that that God gives to us as as His children. But notice the centrality of of God's actions here. It says that He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, God provides a safe place for David, for us, to receive the provisions that He desperately needs. Now, you might think that because sheep or simple animals that it would be easy to get them to lie down and to rest but but they're not as a matter of fact um, philip keller who's a pastor uh, also became a shepherd for a number of years and and he actually learned what it was like to shepherd a flock of sheep and then he wrote a book entitled a shepherd look at psalm 23. And and he says that sheep don't lie down easily. In fact, he said it's almost impossible for them to lie down until at least four requirements are met. Because they're very timid uh, animals, uh, they refuse to lie down unless they're free of all fear. I mean, you think about it. If if you've ever been around sheep, uh, they really don't have any defenses against predators. (laughs) I mean, the only thing they can do is run. And they don't even do that well. You know, a little bit faster than a turtle, but not a lot. You know, so if, if there's any sense of fear, they're not going to just sit down because it takes them so long to get up. They'd be dead before. So, so they need that. They also, they're very social, believe it or not, and they're flat. And if there's tension with the other sheep, believe it or not, they, they won't rest. If they're tormented by flies or, or parasites, sheep won't lie down. Or they won't lie down if, if they're hungry. And so a, a sheep has to be free from fear and friction and flies and famine in order to lie down. But it's only the shepherd that can provide that. It's interesting, the sheep can't do it. The, the shepherd is the only one that can provide that trust, that peace, that, that deliverance in the pasture that's needed for the sheep um, to, to lie down. Uh, and it's, it's also interesting, brothers and sisters, to note that this is the place that David decided to, to start. Um, he begins, you know, we might expect for David uh, to talk about how the Lord is my shepherd and how he does some great thing, or how he calls us to do some great work. But interestingly, David doesn't start with activity. He starts with rest. It, it's a reminder that the Christian life also begins with resting in God. in in Christ. Uh, Along the way, there are things that we're called to do as Christians, but we must begin by resting in Him who's done everything for us. We can do nothing even in the works that God calls us to do if we don't first rest in Him because rest is part of what God gives to us. He gives us uh, work to do. We all have jobs, occupations, gifts to use, things like that. But God also equally so has created us to rest as well. And, and on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day, not only to rest physically, but also he gives us a spiritual rest. I think if there is any misunderstanding about the Sabbath day in the modern day church, it is to think that Sunday is only a day of physical rest. But I would argue with you, it's even more so a day of spiritual rest and refreshment. And that's why we we sort of lay aside all of our normal activities that we might rest in him. And so he gives us that, that spiritual rest. And brothers and sisters, that's something we need to hear. That's something this generation needs to hear because we live in a country that seeks to fill the void that they have within them by following all the things that the world tells them that they need in order to have a sense of rest or a sense of contentment or fulfillment. And, and even though we see the desert of restlessness in the culture around us, even we as Christians are, are oftentimes tempted to look at the things of the world and seek after those as if we think that they're going to give us some sense of, of rest. But there's oftentimes restlessness and dissatisfaction and, and, and unhappiness in our lives. Because we forget that true rest is found by grace in God alone. What did Jesus say to his hearers in, in Matthew 11:28? But come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You see, like sheep led to green pastures beside quiet waters, so Jesus calls you and I, brothers and sisters, to come to Him and to rest, to have our souls refreshed in the Lord. The Holy Spirit's work, um, He works this rest in in the souls of God's people, and this rest increases as we rely and we trust in the Lord. But as we walk in self-righteousness, as we walk in a sense of self-reliance, I can do it, then that rest decreases in our, in our lives. And, and, and for some of us, there's such little rest that we can't even sleep at night, it seems like, because there's not a sense of, of resting in Christ. It is a spiritual rest, not a rest dependent upon earthly circumstances. And so even if the earthly circumstances are all whacked and crazy, there's a sense in which God gives us his peace. And we see that in a number of examples in scripture. Look at David as he's facing Goliath. I mean, the man who wrote these words, he's standing before Goliath as a young man. And the whole army of Israel is terrified. And what's David's posture? Peace. He's getting ready to go to battle with this giant of a man, this seasoned soldier that has slain many men and there's peace because his peace comes from the Lord. And he knows and what's he say? The Lord will fight this battle. And so he trusted the Lord. Or another example is Elisha in the face of the Aramean army. Here's this prophet of God in in the city of Samaria and the army has surrounded the city because they want to take this one man. It takes a whole army to capture this one man. And of course, Elisha's servant sees this and he is terrified. You know, if I could almost say, I bet he about wet his pants. He was just that scared. Okay, and what does Elisha say? He, he said, Lord, would you open the eyes of my servant and let him see the reality of what's going on. And all of a sudden, the Lord opened the eyes of this servant and and, and beyond and surrounding this great army was an even greater army, the army of the Lord. And, and the Lord delivered Elisha. But there was a peace, there was a calm there in the midst of that. Another example would be Paul and Silas. I mean, here they are in prison in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, they're going to stand trial. And they have a lot that they could be concerned and worried about. But what do they do Is they're in prison? They're singing psalms. Songs, songs. They're praising the Lord. They're worshiping Him. And there is a peace that rests over them. As the faith of God's people increases, it, it flowers and it bears fruit in that assurance of faith. There's just a, a calm that's, that's there. And the Spirit applies the work of Christ deeply to our conscience. Um, there's a real rest that's there. Now, in our justification, that's an objective reality that all believers experience. But the assurance of grace and salvation is something that we need to grow in, something that we, we pursue. It's been said that the heart of religion lies in its personal pronouns. You know, as you, as you look at the scriptures, you know, are those pronouns yours? For example, 2 Timothy 1.12 I know whom I have believed, and, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. M- you know, there's that intimacy between God. Or, or Job 19.25 For I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Or Galatians 2.20 i live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, for a believer that has that kind of rest and peace in the Lord, it's not a sense that I have some faith out there, some generic faith. This is a personal relationship with God. There's we are we are one, and and I can uh, I can rest in Him. In Christ, God becomes a glorious resting ground instead of a cause of of terror. Now I understand we live in a fallen world, and so uh, we can't become. Well, how do I don't want to say this? There's a sense in which we can experience God's rest, but we will not experience it in its completeness until that day, as, as the Bible says, when that which is perfect has come, and then that which is in part shall be done away with. Then I shall know even as I am known. And, and in that day, we will go to be with the Lord in glory, and we will have a true and a final peace in Him. But even in the midst of that, the fallen world in which we live, there's a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus because God gives us his provision. But he also gives us his protection in the second half of verse 2. And the parallel statement in this verse shows us another image of God's care for his people. David literally says, Upon waters of rest he guides me. Uh, the provision of of the water is is really important if you live in Palestine because it was a very dry land and so water was really important but it this describes sort of quiet waters it wasn't rushing water so the, the sheep could go down and they could drink out of the water without being swept away by the the current but also it was a place where they could be cleaned by the shepherd or if they had been wounded along the path he could mend them and he could wash their wounds And and the language that's used here is used in other places in the Old Testament as well to describe God. And it highlights the Lord's protective care of his sheep as he brings them to these still and these quiet waters. But while that's one way to interpret uh, this text, there's another way as well. Um, It's important to note that the word translated rest is actually a noun in the Hebrew. And it's the last word of the phrase, waters of rest. And and this implies that the rest is actually the setting for the waters. It's not what the waters are doing themselves, but it's the settings of the waters, the place in which they're found. It's in this place of rest that these waters are. And in the Old Testament, this word for rest often refers to Canaan as a place of rest for Israel and of God's dwelling place. And so what this suggests is that Yahweh Himself is the place of rest that he's talking about in Psalm twenty-three two. And, and and we even see that at the end of this Psalm where it confirms this idea. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell or I shall rest in the house of the Lord for forever. And so the ultimate place of rest for God's people is in, in himself. So everything we need, whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual we find in Christ. And He will continue to provide that for us all the days of our life until the Good Shepherd comes um, and He takes us, passes us through those waters of death and, um, and takes us home to be with Him for all eternity. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I think about what... In the days and the times in which we live, I think it's so easy for our hearts to be disturbed That's the word I'm looking for. To see our hearts be disturbed. Whether it be in the news that we read, or maybe there's things that, that we want, but that the Lord has not given us. And, and yet, if we don't let those things go, that just continues to stir up within us um, a sense of dissatisfaction, which then can lead to depression and to discouragement, to worry and to fear and things like that. But Jesus tells us in John 6, 35, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He is our our spiritual refreshment. Before Jesus was crucified, He told His disciples, He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Is that where we're at this morning? Do you have that sense of peace with the Lord, that sense of trusting in Him? Let us be reminded, as David tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Let's pray. Lord, you know the things that oftentimes steal the joy from from our own heart. And God, you know that unlike the sheep, sheep don't have a choice. They can't meet their needs. But Lord, we oftentimes try. We're oftentimes laboring and struggling and rustling. And Lord, we're just tired and we're just weary. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to to rest in you, to look to you, O God, to bring our needs to you, to cast all of our burdens and our cares upon you because we know that that you care and you love for us so much, that you are a God of mercy, you are a God of, of great provision. Forgive us, Lord, when we work and we fight and we toil so hard just to get a few crumbs. When you have a steak dinner all laid out and prepared for us, oh Father, we pray that you would turn our eyes upon you. Even this day, Lord, that you have given to us, uh, let us draw away and to just be with you, to be still and to be reminded who you are. Lord, help us to lift up our our, our cares, those things that we've been wrestling with to you, and, and to let them go and to enjoy the peace that can come from not being the one that has to carry the load. We thank you, Lord, so much for that, and pray these things in your name. Amen.